Welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by the wonderful apologist extraordinaire, uh, Andy Bannister, I believe, is in the studio live, as he always is. Live in the well, live in the studio, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very generous intro. Thank you very much. And um, are you doing well today? I am. I am doing well. You know, I'm glad, glad, glad. Even more glad to see your your smiling face eventually. As today, I have to say, listeners, this Andy won't like me saying this, but Andy was late for the first time, first time ever. Really, I'm I'm quite regularly late, uh, but Andy was late today, so I feel very vindicated in the Lord in some Pharisaic yeah, way. Yes. <laughs> And uh, it got worse, actually. Let's do full disclosure. It got worse because we were having problems before we started recording and uh, we couldn't work out why my sound was not working properly. <laughs> and uh, then somebody, a mysterious somebody who we may come to in a moment, um, said, Andy, it looks like your microphone is the wrong way around. And um, Andy, who prides himself on being technical, had, in fact, the microphone pointing the wrong way. So it has not been yes. a good day. But in my defense, Aaron, in my defense, my wife and the kids are away. I'm in the house on my own. I've got a rabbit and three guinea pigs to look after. Builders <laughs> doing stuff out the front. Builders upstairs repairing a floorboard. <laughs> and uh, chaos everywhere. So I think... I, I, I would, you should always write it. You should do like yes. a rewrite of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians when he's saying, you know, I did this. I was beaten, beaten with rods. Yes. I was you know, shipwrecked. Was. I had rabbits. I had my wife saying this, etc. The <laughs> mic was the wrong way around. I can, I can see it happening now. Uh, that's the yes. way to do it. But um, today does mark well. a, but today does mark a very special milestone, doesn't it? In the in the in the life of Pod of the Gaps. Well, we were uh, we're in our sixties, if that's what you mean. You know, oh, no, I didn't mean that. 60s. I didn't mean the fact it's the sixtieth episode or, or beyond. Nor or did I mean the fact that you're, yeah. Nor did I mean the fact that your beard is now almost down to your knees. Um, <laughs> the Francis Schaeffer is coming on. Is uh, a. <laughs> We love on this podcast, I mean, one of the things we love on this podcast is we talk about the big issues of culture, don't we, is that is that so many of these issues come back to Jesus and the gospel. They come back to JC. So JC is a regular feature on this show. Um, but today, we, we have, I haven't gone one better, but we've, as well as JC, we also, <laughs> come on, this is a great link. We also have, we have JB. We have, just, we have Justin Briley. Justin wow. Riley, what an what introduction! Link, hey? Justin, welcome to Pot of the Gap. Thank you. I, I and I, 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 I'll say I can come and be your producer if it helps you to put the microphone the right, right way around in future, Andy. Yeah. We, we should pay Justin just to just to tell Andy every time we have a show. If you could just text Andy, we'll give you a fee. This, just, this is the microphone the right, Andy? This is the direction your microphone should be. This pointing. Direction the mic should be going. Yeah. You know, have you got the screen turned on? All this other stuff. Yes, <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It is hilarious and humbling because I often do jokes about other people's tech ability, <laughs> not least Aaron's. And tonight <laughs> it was right. me who had the there we are. microphone the wrong the wrong way around. I mean, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You well, know. I was doing a part. I was recording the other day in Australia. You see, and things are the other way, other way around. Ah, so, um, yes. Anyway, just, <laughs> but Justin, just have you ever been? Have you ever been introduced as you know one up from Jesus Christ? In well, a, I did not say one that? up. Yeah, I was very careful not to go. I think the main point was that we have similar initials, um, which yeah. is arguably true. Um, though <laughs> a, a B is not far from J B, which is not far from J C. So it's we're we're all in the same boat. Really. Yeah, that's right. That's yes. right. <laughs> Yes, A A B A E. We always say that's almost A C D C normally on the show, but we don't. <laughs> exactly, but, um, that's it. Yeah. No, Just so you know, Justin, this is what we basically fill out the first half an hour with <laughs> arbitrary uh, <laughs> banter around the introduction. So popular, yes. yes. <laughs> well, the funny see. thing is, we we did 
we did try taking the banter out early on as we've experimented <laughs> in this podcast and we had dozens of people go no 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 i came there was one review on on, on itunes i like where someone said i came for the apologetics and stayed for the banter so <laughs> exactly I, I like you that. actually had i won't name them but you had a very high profile person listen and say you didn't get into the episode content within the first 90 seconds so you know i didn't oh, i stopped I don't listening mind. i got I, bored I don't mind name dropping that was um that was jay john hello oh, there john. We are, exactly jay john and I, in his Greek well, accent, John, I can't do. He goes, "I love, he's, I love the show. I love the show." He said, "I, I had to fast forward through the first five minutes of you guys talking about cake." And so we got, we got, we got convicted, and we, and yes. the next show, we went very banter light, and then we had dozens of other people saying, uh, "Bring it back." Well, I, you were Andy was at one point hoping that we could get some kind of like ninety second cap on the banter, so that you know, I was aiming your head. You can't be joking. Suddenly, right, ninety seconds is coming. Finish off this joke quickly. We're going to go straight in. But that's the, the J. John effect, we should call that. Hashtag J. John effect. No, J. John, um, thank you for persevering with us if you are still listening. Exactly. The original Greek, as he calls himself. So, um, <laughs> Justin, obviously you are known to many, many people from your unbelievable days. Um, but, you, of course, you're now doing other things. You've now I moved am. on from there and are freelancing and doing exciting yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I, I finished um, officially at Premier um, uh, at Easter. So it's been, yeah, two and a half months or so since, uh, since yeah. I finished though, some unbelievable shows that I had recorded then went out. So, and, and there's yeah. still some, some repeats and things. So people probably still see and hear me occasionally yeah. on the unbelievable show, but yes, it's, it's, it's going great guns. I'm, I'm applauding them from the sidelines, but doing, doing some fresh projects now. Um, and yeah, really, really enjoying the freedom to explore some, some new collaborations and things. And of course, one of those projects that we, the reason we wanted to get you onto the podcast is you've written a book, right? Yes, or, I mean, you've written books before, but you've written an, another book, um, which is very exciting. You've written The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. So why don't you sort of tell us about that for a little bit? And it ties into, I think listeners who track with us will find out, you know, why we've dragged you on to this show, because <laughs> it fits very nicely into a number of themes that we, that Aaron and yeah. I have been talking about for the last kind of year and a half, two years. So why don't you give us the brief, the brief pre-seat? We'll put a link, by the way, to Justin's book where you can pre-order it in the show notes. So if you're listening to him describe it, go, God, this is amazing. When do I get it, we will do that link. But, yes. Uh, take and it I'm away. Sure, Tell us a I'm bit sure about everyone it. everyone will, will have that it. response to, to, to this interview. Um, the the <laughs> subtitle of the book, so as you say, the, the title is The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. The subtitle, because I like my long subtitles, is Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are Considering Christianity Again. That is a long yeah. subtitle. That's yeah. almost well, like those Victorian novels where they give you a paragraph at the start of each yes. chapter to tell you, you know. Uh, I, I think I think it was Francis Spufford who introduced the the long subtitle for Christian books when he oh, did gosh, his yes, that's true. Un, unapologetic why despite everything Christianity can still make surprising emotional sense which so basically fills the whole of the cover. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. Anyway, um, yeah. Long subtitle. Essentially, though, that does sum up the book. It's 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 looking at the way as I've you know hosted shows like Unbelievable for the last 17 plus years, which very much began in the heyday of new atheism. The way the conversation has changed, I think. Um, and the first chapter really deals with what I would describe as the rise and fall of new atheism, that essentially that cultural movement is a spent force now. You still find it popping up in corners of the internet, but there's mm. no longer the the op-eds and the big conferences and the best-selling books from people basically mm. wanting to bash God. In fact, I think the energy has really moved in the secular space as well to 
taking God a lot more seriously. And that's where you've seen the rise of some of those interesting figures, sometimes controversial figures like Jordan Peterson, um, you know, saying, well, can we live without God? Uh, can we live without this kind of a story that has essentially guided the Western world for so long? Um, and, you know, other interesting figures like Tom Holland and Douglas Murray. Um, I've mentioned a whole swathe of different people who I think are basically not necessarily Christians, but are saying, can we live without the Christian story in the West? Uh, and so I, I tried to trace that journey through some of their examples, some of their stories, through uh, culture, the Bible, science, history, uh, mind and materialism, lots of different areas where I think there's a shift away from that kind of materialist view of nature. And what I see is as increasingly people coming back to the question, well, maybe there's a room for God in, in all of this. And then marrying that with what I increasingly began to bump into in the last several years, some really surprising stories of adults mm. converting to Christianity. And uh, I kind of tied it all together in a in a arguably quite optimistic thesis in this book, saying I think we might be on the shores of seeing the the sea of faith potentially come back in again in our generation. There's that famous poem by Matthew Arnold, the Victorian mm. poet, which talked about mm. the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith, which often gets quoted to say, you know, look at the secular age we're in and so on. But mm. as as Douglas Murray said in a conversation I hosted with him a, a year or two ago, he said, well, the point about tides is that they do come back in again and he was commenting on this in in the context of a number of his intelligent friends becoming christians in recent years and and he just wondered maybe maybe we're seeing something here and so that's really my yeah my, what i'm looking at in this book asking are we ready for a rebirth of belief in god may we even be seeing it um and tracing all kinds of ways in which i think we might be seeing the first fruits of that um so that's that's the book in a nutshell mm. Sounds uh, exciting. Um, I, isn't, and, and that's very much germane to the stuff we talk about on Pod of the Gaps, like almost looking at your chapters in that book. There's, there's, we've probably got an episode on each one of those, haven't we, mm. uh, Andy, where we've sort of discussed some of those themes along the way. Uh, but it's interesting that you say, Justin, the, um, the idea of the, t the tide coming back again, as in, in Douglas Murray's phrase, again, someone we've discussed a fair bit on the show. Um, what just A question I, that kind of just struck me was, isn't there, is there also a danger with a lot of this kind of re-enchantment stuff that's going on in the West that it's like a fashion, like a fashion comes and goes as well. You know how you can hold on to my, my mum who sadly passed away about 18 months ago when she had leopard print, everything in, in various forms in her house. Mm -hmm. And we were like going, we were just, cause that was how we, she always wore leopard print when it was out. I think cause she was a Rod Stewart fan from back in the, 70s and 80s and she kept hold of it and when we went down there for the funeral we decided it'd be really good to tell everyone to wear some leopard print and we didn't have to go far we literally got to go through her wardrobe and gave everyone pieces of leopard print because she had it because it happened mm. to be in fashion at the time and people oh we don't even need it we've already got leopard print stuff all over the place and we saw it seeing it everywhere it's just funny how a fashion can just be un completely unfashionable and then suddenly mm. it can just come back again and so there can be a danger almost that god can be hot for a while but is it yeah. really that god or is it actually just the idea of religion what's your kind of thoughts on that yeah well i i think there is always that you know it could be and and i think there is a little bit of that in some of the celebrity sphere when you see justin bieber and kanye and whoever sort of suddenly popping mm. up and you know being cool about god you know all of a sudden I, I think there is that element of it that that can be a bit of a fashion thing and it's another accessory for people to 
wave around. But I, I think this this is a bit different for me. I I think, um, you know, you could say the new atheism was a fashionable thing uh, to some extent, but it was, if mm. you like, the sharp end of a long process since essentially the enlightenment mm. of the kind of increasing secularization of the West. And to that extent, it, it was a fashion within a general trend. It was a sort of, and, and, and I think we've kind of, it, what it represented was actually sort of the point at which that movement began to eat itself uh, and people began to realize this can't we can't be sustained on this stuff for for much longer mm. and i mm. do feel like it's the god thing is more than just a possible fashion thing you know that the people might come and go i'll admit that you know jordan peterson may be mm. flavor of the month for some people now and you know forgotten about mm. in two years time mm. who knows but i do feel like the questions they're raising and the issues they're pinpointing and the meaning crisis in our culture is hard to deny and therefore, mm. um, for me, it feels like the Christian story, and I suppose this is where my faith comes in, I do believe that it's always ready to come back in at some point. And we see that time and time again, historically, that, you know, th that God acts through peaks and troughs in culture, through revivals, mm. through things that sort of come in and refresh a kind of broken and dry cult culture. Mm. And I just, I suppose it's my my prediction that we might be facing one of those sort of moments where actually the tide's going to come back in in that way um i'm sure there'll be faddish elements to it that will come and go mm. but actually i guess i just have faith that god will, will renew the church and this this might be the way in which it's we're seeing it happen now mm. 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 i think i think one thing i think would be great to talk about a little a little more as just in that comment that you made there about the you know the kind of meaning crisis because mm. i'm struck by you know, some of those sort of names that you rattled off, Douglas Murray, I know Tom Holland, uh, you've talked with, there have been many others. I'm struck by how often that is the pinch point. Mm. And I was saying before we hit uh, we hit record that uh, this this morning I stumbled across, just I think I came, came across a reference to it in a book, an essay by David Brooks, who I don't think is religious because he describes himself as secular for an essay in The Atlantic 20 Didn't he years become ago. A he became a christian since then, he may have done sure. actually which is yeah. even more interesting to the mm. point because the yeah. point he wrote this he wasn't yeah and that book mm. talks about the, the, the that, that essay talks about the failures of secularism and one of his one of his points in there that i thought really struck me was he talked about three steps you six steps you can take to recover uh from uh from secularism and he said there's this temptation you've got to let go of this temptation to find a material explanation for everything and mm. some of those big questions of life just don't have yep. material explanations. He particularly points to the meaning and purpose yeah. question. So is there is there something particular about that? Because particularly I'm conscious that, you know, someone like yourself, you've talked to hundreds of apologists, and, you know, there are arguments that apologists we love. We love the scientific stuff. We love the philosophical stuff. But it does intrigue me yeah. that in this intellectual turn, if you're describing it rightly, it's those existential questions. And then just to add to that, someone who does a lot of university missions, and I've talked to other friends who do lots of university stuff, we're seeing the same on the campuses. You look at the Q&As mm. that come in, even five, six years ago, there was a lot more science yep. stuff. Now, loads more meaning, mm. purpose, hope, mm. suffering, identity. Mm. Something is going on, right? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that's right. Um, and I've, I, I, I'd say 
when David Brooks wrote that article, he he was sort of ahead of the curve in a sense, and he was seeing what was, I think, only going to accelerate as, especially in the age of social media. To be honest, um, I think the meaning crisis. I think what we've shown the last sort of ten plus years, as as you know, smartphones have become sort of just the norm, um, is that the more technology you add, the more kind of supposed benefits of western culture you add mm. the the less it actually solves any problems the more it actually tends to amplify them um very mm. very often and so um and i think it's particularly in you know there's, there's a whole story to tell about the way i think the new atheism both failed to answer people's questions of meaning but but the reason it imploded is also because it basically got swallowed by the culture wars as well and that was because mm. suddenly um it decided a lot of the main players of the new atheism decided there's a much bigger enemy than fundamentalist Christians. Uh, And it turns out it's people on campuses who want to stop us from talk, you know, having free speech and academic freedom and everything else. Mm. And that's where the whole energy of that movement has gone. Sam Harris is no longer Mm. writing books about religion. He's, he's critiquing woke culture. Um, Mm. You know, so I think the, um, for me, what's, what, what's happened there is, is that, with that swing of culture in that direction that's where the energy has gone and that's where um a lot of the questions now are so people aren't sort of kind of being rallied by the new atheist to kind of question does god exist they're actually now asking who am i what's my identity how do i make sense of life in a world where i'm being given 50 different options for what my sexuality gender or identity might be and i i think that's where churches need to be ready to stand up uh and we sometimes we're guilty aren't we of of answering yesterday's questions when actually you know there's a whole set of Mm. new questions that are actually being Mm. asked the answer i think is still fundamentally the same i just wonder whether we're we're now in a position where actually we could see that that happen i mean it was interesting you you talked about um david brooke sort of obviously that article was written i guess when he was on a journey towards eventually becoming a christian but it, it reminds me so much of some of the others i've um i've written about in the book an wilson um he's got a fascinating story which you both might be familiar with where he yeah. essentially in the sort of probably just before the new atheism really blossomed but he was he was one of that sort of intelligentsia set he kind of abandoned his sort of anglicanism for a very you know for what he calls like the materialist creed the orthodoxy of hitchens and dawkins and others and very much felt himself yeah. to be part of that set but gradually, over a set, several years, he he came to realize the things he really loved, art, literature, poetry, meaning, none of them made sense in this purely materialist, orthodox kind of mm. category. And and so he started sneaking back into Anglican churches again. And, and you know, uh, and the remarkable thing about his story is that during his sort of agnostic atheist phase, he wrote a book basically critiquing the historical Jesus. But, you know, by the time he'd kind of come fully back round to Christian mm. faith, he was writing articles in defense of the resurrection, saying, I really regret the mm. things I, I once wrote. Mm. And that's those kinds of turnabouts are just very interesting sort of stories of, of people for who, who tried the, the secular mm. materials route, really did put those clothes on and just found they, they didn't fit. And, uh, and I'm, I, I just feel like we're increasingly now picking up some of the the sort of refugees almost from that movement who mm. who are now turning to some of these people I've mentioned already to try and find some meaning because the yeah. new atheism failed them so badly on that front. Mm. 
I think it's really, really interesting that, you know, it almost reminds reminiscent actually of some of those stories like the um, Lee Strobel and the Morrison guy who moved the stone. Yeah, I forget who, who moved yeah. the stone. Um, People who looked at I think, yeah, Strobel read that one and they're both journalists trying to disprove it and then they go the other way. And it's kind of interesting that um, in, in the New Atheist fallout, um, we've seen some of the stars fall over the, over the time, even actually when we've discussed a lot with Christopher Hitchens, he obviously he, he, you know, tragically got cancer, but also had a kind of wobble moments himself, as it were in his, losing faith in his atheism, or at least drifting towards something of a yearning. Um, in that great book by Larry Taunton, the, the faith of Christopher Hitchens, not that he did a deathbed repentance, but some kind of sense of the yearning for hoping that the resurrection might be true. I think that's what came out of, that book, at least, even if we couldn't get a gotcha, oh, he actually repented in some way. It was actually, I, I, I want it to be true. And I think yeah. there are people who, that, that's kind of being revealed uh, consistently. But it's interesting, when you mentioned um, the sense of the new atheists moving more towards, ah, the problem is now identity politics and, and perhaps the progressive, ag- aggressive progressive left. Mm. There's also the problem of uh, like Islam, isn't there? There's alternative religions who are gaining yeah. an ascendancy as the West crumbles in its kind of Christendom ideology. Um, and we've got, um, like Dawkins, there was that famous moment where he was on that show, not even that long ago, where he refused to answer that question. And that was almost as if he, he came yeah. across very, yeah, very frail and kind of weakened in fear because he knows and that, that, you know, there's that phrase of his that was, um, you know, I, I actually think that Christianity is better than something far worse. It's a bulwark, especially mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, I like the Church of England and I like some of those yeah. traditions. I'm just not a, I don't believe any of it, but it's, better to have that stuff than to have what's coming and that's kind of where there's an interesting yeah i think dawkins as well himself has softened actually even from his more anti-christian leanings because i remember you know there used to be a time when if i emailed richard dawkins he would just you know laugh in my face if i tried to get him on (laughs) to debate you know science and faith and that kind of thing Mm. but then i did get him on in 2021 with francis Mm. collins now that was partly because he he respects Francis Collins as you know a very significant geneticist yes. and everything else and uh, um, felt that he was a sort of intellectual equal to be coming on with but he it was also I I got the sense it was also because he he has himself come a bit of a cropper in the culture wars he's sort of you know mm. he had that mm. humanist award sort of taken away from him because of his comments on transgender yeah. he he he's had various sort of cancellations and sort of bruises mm. if you like and and I mm. think he's I, I got the sense in my email interaction with him that led up to that discussion that he he's realized Christians aren't the worst thing in the world and that sometimes mm. Christians can be a little bit more tolerant sometimes of mm. positions mm. than some of his secular brethren. And and mm. I just wonder whether it's interesting the way that the, the, where the culture currently is. It's creating interesting bedfellows between some Christians and secularists and it's kind of changing the battleground a bit more and, and making, you know, uh, not exactly friends, but at least less enemies of people who used yeah. to be sort of regard. I mean, another story I tell in the book is a guy called Peter Bogosian, who's not oh, one yes. of the best known uh, of the new atheist set, but he very much was, you know, an ardent anti-theist in, in his time. He was this uh, assistant philosophy professor in Portland State University, wrote this book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. It was exactly what it sounds like, a kind of <laughs> how to evangelize people out of their faith type of book. Um, and and I had him on the show several years back to kind of debate God. And he basically, you know, wrote a book claiming that believing in God is like having a, a mental disorder. Um, hmm. When I emailed him uh, several years later, 
looking to host a debate again in Portland when I was going out there, he wrote a very polite email back saying, you would hardly recognize me now, Justin, when it comes to my feelings about Christians. I regard them as far more friends in this fight than than enemies. Interesting. Uh, I won't, right. I, I, I'm not the right person to come on and kind of have a go at God anymore. Uh, and this was, <laughs> I hadn't realized, but what emerged about six months later that was that he and the other colleagues were behind this big hoax uh, camp. I, you may remember this, but there was yes. a, a set of hoax papers that they'd been working on a, yeah. in the area of grievance studies. And it was basically to sort of send up and parody the whole mm. sort of issue that they felt was happening in academia where, you know, mm. I'd certain ideologies, if you just had the right language and said the right phrases, you could get anything published basically. And mm. so it proved in their case. Mm. And, mm. um, and this was what he described as a far more pernicious sort of form of religion yeah. to me in this email mm. that he felt he he now needed to. Um, mm. uh, so, so again, he, it's not that he had a road to Damascus conversion to Christianity, but he was fighting a completely different battle now, and and mm. he regarded Christians as actually far more his his friends on his side of the line most of the time than <laughs> than his enemy. So, I, I, it's just been fascinating for, for me to see the way that that all that ground has changed because of the way the yeah. culture has, has developed in that way. Do you know mm. one thing that I I wonder as you describe that, and uh, you say Pete is an interesting character, and there are there are others. I mean, actually, Dawkins is interesting because towards the end of my time, I was in I was in Canada before moving back to the UK mm. and about 20, 2015, 2016, they, there was uh, some folks at University of Toronto were trying to set up a, uh, a debate and they asked me if I'd be interested in debating Dawkins and I, with nervous trepidation, went, <laughs> well, sure, if that worked. But what was interesting, when they reached out to his people, he was big enough to have people. Well, I think Rich's yeah. people had people. Um, <laughs> the, the, the lines that came back was, I'd be potentially interested in an event, but I would want it to be a dialogue and not a debate, which I thought was really interesting. That he was mm. far more interested in at that point, and then he had stroke, and he mm. cut some public stuff back. So the event fell by the wayside. But look, I wonder whether one of the bigger things going on, Justin, I'd love to get your take on this. Is look, one of the challenges is for us as Christians when we get attacks on our faith. You know, we need to get, deal with them and engage with them. But it's also worth asking the question: Is there something here that we need to look at in terms of how we're engaging? Is there a fair point? Yes. And I think one of the one of the things that gave a little bit of fuel to the new atheism was Christianity back then was a bit more of a cultural force. You know, it very much yep. was you were being iconoclastic when you tackled mm. Christianity. Now we've moved on, you know, to, when was the new atheism? 2006, that term was coined, mm. wasn't it, by, by Wired Magazine. So we're now 17 mm. years on from there. Christianity is not a cultural force. I mean, yeah, we've got bishops in the House of Lords, but I mean, goodness knows they're not a lot of use, really. Um, <laughs> uh, notice I said that, not the other two. So, you know, well be, you can write to me. Um, but where are, where are, the, where is the cultural power? Where is the, the cultural hegemony? hegemony? It's, mm. It is the woke stuff. It's the fact that you can't criticize some of this stuff publicly without getting all kinds of consequences. And so I wonder if that's A, as you say, brought some bedfellows together and B, that's, I think, led to people going, oh, gosh, maybe actually, yes, there were some excesses of Christianity. And, you know, I don't I don't agree with Hitchens, religion poisons everything, mm, but certainly organized mm. religion has poisoned some things. Um, yeah. But we're well on from that. So I wonder mm. whether there's something about the, the fact that the power structures have changed yeah. in culture that has forced a change in some of the questions. I, I think that's probably true. Um, I think as as, you know, we've increasingly seen across the whole of the west really christianity's sort of institutional power decrease that that there's a sense in which it, it was never it was going to increasingly less be seen as some kind of enemy number one anyway i think as well 
the fact is, that, as I say, the culture wars have kind of drawn the lines differently. So, um, you know, the 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 person who is, as it were, on the the sort of more anti woke side will see anyone, be they Christian or atheist or whatever, as sort of their their, their colleague. And likewise, if you're an anti atheist on the very progressive left side, you will welcome any Christian who comes and stands with you on those issues. I, I think it's sort of it, it's it's as though the 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 typical atheist Christian thing is just just doesn't figure as much anymore. People aren't mm. as worried specifically about what you believe. It's more about your political leanings. That's that's the thing they really care about now. Um, and and to that extent, that that's kind of changed changed the nature of the discussion to some extent. I I think as well. Yeah, I I would say it's 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 just gone it's gone in interesting directions because uh, Dawkins himself has become something of a, he, 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 by the time sort of the, the, the God delusion did well and everything else, but there, there came a point at which he and his movement were almost looking religious and it's a sort of mm. religion doesn't go away. It just gets expressed in different forms, you know, and to that extent, the the new atheists who are still kind of in the spotlight, um, who are now fighting the the kind of woke battles and things, they're just forming and they're just fighting another type of religion. I think, as far as they're concerned, it, mm. it, it's still it, it's it's still just in our nature to be religious about something. And when you lose the Christian story, you just end up getting mm. religious about all kinds of other stories. And mm. um, and again, that's that's kind of a fairly major theme in my book is is that you. Um, as much as the new atheists like to think they had sort of talked religion out of people, they really had, it, it, we, we will gravitate towards mm. something. Uh, the question is whether that thing actually does what we want it to do. And of course, anything that isn't mm. Jesus doesn't do that. It, it, it always falls mm. short. Um, and to that, and that's why I think there will always be room for the Christian story because there's only one story that sort of makes sense of all those other smaller stories we tell ourselves. Mm. And that's my great hope is that people will, once they get to the end of that tether to the, you know, when they find that the stories just aren't doing what they hope they will do, that they'll finally mm. turn around and realize there was a bigger story waiting for them, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And, and in the sense of, um, you know, the, the shifting narratives of, of how people view the different stories and the different religious kind of camps, um, how that affects things. I, I was just wondering what, how that sits with, Things within the sociology of religion. So I, I, I've been sort of teaching for many years, actually more along the lines of saying we need to listen to the secularization theorists who say, um, "What's a guy called Steve Bruce, not the footballer slash manager, uh, but the uh, the um, atheist um, who actually I, I found him very helpful. I used to debate with him a fair bit, and he was quite receptive to to saying, you know, God could be there after all, um, and I could just write books." For the rest of my career, saying, "Oh, I changed my mind, etc." And he said, "Many people do that," but he said his critique of the religious sociologists who've been saying for many years. So yours, yours is different. I think you've got quite good, grounded reasons culturally for why there is actually a very new shift in the last mm. decade or so, even less than that, maybe. Um, but there have been people for years been saying, "Oh, actually, no, there's a reenchantment in general." And generally, they would say things like, "People are finding religion and all these other God in all these other ways. They just don't want to go to institutional mm. churches anymore." Mm. And Steve mm. Bruce, I think, very helpfully would say, "No, that's rubbish. They actually are, religious expression and devotion. If we're looking at previous eras of history when religion was more pervasive, Christianity was more pervasive. We actually see proper devotion in people's lives." So he would actually. Mm 
spend time researching saying how much time do you actually spend on your yoga or your whatever this whatever your new spiritual but not religious expression is and he just say it's nonsense nothing like the equivalent of the kind of deeply held convictions that a religious proper religious conviction actually has so i'm wondering what your reflections are because i remember in your book you have um you, you had a section where you were talking about um the various people like Tom Holland or Douglas Murray or Jordan Peterson that you've interviewed, mm. who all have kind who are all kind of pro-Christian, they're pro-Christian heritage, they're pro-Christendom. Mm. And, and Jordan Peterson even seems like he's on the verge of becoming a Christian regularly, but never quite seems to come full out. And and you kind of think, is there a danger that it's Christian heritage that people like? It's yeah. the 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 story. I'd love the story to be true, like a Hitchens thing. I'd love that to be true, and that would be give mm. us there'd be a guarantor of meaning. But I don't know if I really want to go to church every week and pray and yeah. like trust God and you know make decisions. I, I think that's the difference, isn't it? And and you know when I've spoke to Douglas Murray the last time I had a conversation with him and N.T. Wright. It was very interesting because he he was absolutely, you know, he describes himself as a Christian atheist in as mm. much as he, you know, he says all my, the, the things I hold most dear in, ter- in terms of values, I, un- I fully acknowledge they come from scripture and Christian tradition and everything else. Now, mm. does Douglas Murray in his heart of hearts want to surrender his life to Jesus Christ? I'm not quite sure that's quite the same thing as saying, you know, I, I really mm. appreciate the values and virtues of Christianity. Mm. I think there's something else that probably has to happen for Douglas Murray <laughs> to get to that point. Um, you know, it, it, he mentioned actually one the, one of the things holding him back is intellectual problems around the credibility of mm. uh, the, the Bible and that kind of thing. And I mm. wish we had had another whole show for him and N.T. Wright to kind of debate that because I, yeah. I, I think – if that's a roadblock, there are ways of removing it. But at the end mm. of the day, there'll still be the question of whether Douglas Murray wants Jesus Christ to be the Lord of his life. And that's yeah. that for me is obviously always going to be where the rubber hits the yes. road. Yeah. I think what we can be glad for is that people like Tom Holland and Douglas Murray and Jordan Peterson, whoever, are still kind of making it intellectually more plausible or possible for people. Mm. So even if they're not you know, necessarily converting themselves. I do know a number of people for whom they have been some kind of a gateway towards opening up the possibility yeah. that this might yeah, be true. Yeah. And, and then, you know, making their own confession of faith at some point. And yes, uh, absolutely. I've seen a number of those people who, as far as I can see, it absolutely becomes the central guiding thing of their life. Yeah. They're, mm. You know, they're not just some sort of nice, you know, yoga add-on or whatever it might be. So for mm-hmm. me, I, I am quite encouraged by, some of the genuine converts that seem mm. to be coming out yeah, of this yeah, this particular yeah. movement. Uh, I'm not saying it's a flood. I'm not saying you know one if one, one or two swallows make a summer, but it it feels like there's a certain sort of interesting phenomenon happening nonetheless. Mm. I think, um, mm. yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that I love that idea that um, some of these folks, even while they may not be there themselves, are greasing the skids for mm. others. I'm reminded actually of I love that quote by uh, one of C.S. Lewis's best friends at oxford was a guy called austin farrah anglican clergyman and farrah famously said you know intellectual arguments don't create faith but they can create a climate in which faith becomes possible Mm, mm. and there is something about you know as that public dialogue as that it's sort of intellectual air changes slightly it does give people the cover to come and go okay maybe i can Mm. talk about this because i think there is a peculiarly british thing actually about people feeling very embarrassed about talking yes. about faith for a while you mm. must feel stupid i've had someone say that to me i thought you almost know, feel stupid for asking yeah. these questions but the, the question I, I guess i wanted to ask justin sort of following on from that really then okay so what is it 
what's the challenge then here? What's the that's what's the way forward for the church? Because how do we, how do we engage as someone like a, a Murray and others who've come to that point of appreciating the values? And that's mm. and that's great. It's, it's easy to be critical mm-hmm. and go, well, it's a lot more than that. Yes, it is, but that's better than where we were. What are then the, perhaps the apologetic and missional challenges that follow from that? Because like you, I've I've grown up in the world of apologetics, and and I some of it I love, and some of it I get very fed up that I hear Christians banging on about the same old questions that mm. I don't think are the questions people are actually yeah. asking. So so in a sense, how do we help? folks like a douglas murray and maybe he's got a particular issue but yeah now here i go the distance to the next step yeah i mean obviously it will be unique for each individual person and and whatever their personal history is uh in this regard but but some of the key things i i have drawn out sort of some some sort of similar shared themes from from some of these people i've spoken to and and one of the key things that seemed to come across quite frequently was uh the kind of keep christianity weird thing which is i think a lot of people are drawn in some sense to Christianity, um, but often they find the church quite off-putting at the same time because they they feel like, you know, in Tom Holland's case, he says the worst thing is when the church just looks like another mouthpiece of secular government. Uh, it's just trying to aim yeah. the same things as, you know, and you find with some other similar kind of minded agnost- agnostics like Ben Sixsmith, you know, when he writes about his sort of interest in Christianity in the church and then he finds, you know, a church just, trying to ape the latest cultural mm. trends he says it, it's completely off-putting it's doing the opposite of what they wanted to do basically <laughs> yeah. because i think the reason you know you've used the term enchantment there already aaron is is that they they're actually looking for something that is distinctive and different from just the platitudes and you know things of the mm. the secular culture mm. they want it to be mysterious they want it to be weird they 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 want there to be mystery and yeah. uh and and that's what's actually I think deep down attracting a lot of the the folk who who are there. Yeah. And I think at one level, it's almost like if you kind of try to constantly just make it an intellectual sort of thing, it, it, you'll only ever sort of get so far. Uh, at, at some yeah. point, I think they want to surrender to the mystery and weirdness and and otherness mm. of this. And and so trying to dumb it down or trying to make it super accessible and yeah and i'm not saying you know inevitably there's there's going to be churches where you do need to kind of be really you know su- super accessible for for people who aren't douglas murray and tom holland but there are yeah. it feels like there is a a certain personality type out there who want that that kind of that deeper older more mysterious you know Mm. type of christianity that that doesn't yeah. constantly bend to every yes. cultural sort of norm um going so yeah. so that was an interesting sort of shared sort of thing that i found across a lot of these yeah. thinkers mm. who are well that ties in by the way and aaron's got to jump in here but just as a, an aside that ties in the other the other trends that that has been going on and i think we've briefly talked about this on one episode aaron is there's a growing number of folks i've come across who are then converting into eastern orthodoxy mm. Catholicism. Mm. I've had a couple of friends who've gone in both those directions, and if you talk to them, it's exactly that—that that desire to be part mm. of something older, that feeling that you know the sort of church they're part of is you know sort of swaying with every wind of culture. And yeah. now we could, you know, there are some critiques that could be made of those other traditions, but it's interesting that desire to to be part of something older and deeper, and not mm. not worry if there's that little bit of mystery. Mm. Whereas I think as evangelicals. Yeah we can sometimes have a tendency to get a bit panicky about mystery. It's like, oh, mystery is not good. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's halfway to popery. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I think well, I, was that, raised, that's, I was raised in a tradition where my granny always banged on about potpourri, and I could never understand what was wrong with a little a bowl full of dead cut flowers <laughs> on the window. I door. knew that pun was that's coming. That's right. You know, the, the banister is always. He's loaded with puns at any given time. Um, so, yeah, I, that, actually, I mean, that, that was kind of the question I was going to ask anyway. In relation to, oh, I, I was thinking of Paul, Paul, yeah, potpourri. I really, what did that smell in your grandma's house back in the day? Um, yeah, it was uh, related to because I know that Paul Kingsnorth's been on your show, Justin, and yeah. he's someone I've been following for a while. I've read some of his um, fiction and, and articles as well, and he's very interesting. He's another one of these recent kind of. C.S. Lewis, he converts in the sense of, oh, I was against it. I didn't really expect mm-hmm. to bring him. He's, I've, I've heard him say that a lot. And yeah. and yet it, and it was the weirdness. But a lot of these people that you, even you've been interviewing, which is interesting, they are on the political right-ish, centre-right mm-hmm. at least, mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. that the ones who are not going with the narrative, because the political centre tends to be left-leaning, oh, no, is very much so. Um, it, yeah. it you're, you're more likely means to find these people unheard than The Guardian, basically. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so they're, they're, they're seeing things in a certain way. They're more likely to question some of these narratives. And that's kind of interesting as well, because there's, it does take a different kind of approach. I think Andy Wright mentioning that the kind of seeker sensitivity, which we've been almost addicted to in the kind of in evangelicalism and i think there's a good reason because we obviously as evangelicals we ought to get the gospel out and clarity and certainty etc is so important confidence is important something i think is hugely important in some ways many evangelicals need to be more confident in their faith and sharing it and yet the churches that we've often cultivated and curated have been let me make everything like a living room let me make everything completely on your level and almost people are going why would I even want to come here? I can go to a Starbucks. You've made you've made like church like Star. I want to go and experience something of the divine. I want to actually sense yeah. there is a God who is transcendent. And different churches obviously have totally different approaches to it. But I just wonder if there's that weird way where you're not even seeing God speaking in profound ways like you might have had in the um, charismatic movement rather than the kind yeah. of hand-raising movement, which we now have, yeah. where everyone raises their hands, but you don't really get that transcendent sense. So it is, it is true, isn't it? There's all these people who are, are yearning for something deeper that isn't just explainable very easily. Yes, I, I think that's right. Um, and I don't know whether that's just the temperament of some of these sort of thinkers and that kind of thing, that, that that's just kind of where they, they tend to lean if they're going to go somewhere. Mm. I mean, w- what's interesting, though, is, is there is a sort of trade-off because I won't name this person because they're... Andy Bannister. I don't think they, <laughs> they haven't come out in terms of their um, their faith commitments at this point, but... But this is a person. You're telling who's... me Richard Dawkins has become a crook. That's amazing. That's exclusive. Part of the gap's exclusive. Uh, but they they've been exploring church. Let's put it that way. They're, but they're a secular. They're known as a you know primary secular individual. And um and this woman is um said where I'm drawn is is the high church. I'm drawn. You know that the the kind mm. of you know deeper sort of liturgical sort of tradition. She said, but I also have a two year old and. I I cannot take my two year old to that, and I want to take my two year old to church if I'm going to go to church. So mm. she's been attending a more kind of um, charismatic evangelical, you know, guitars mm-hmm. and drums type church. She said it's not my scene really, mm. but they do a great job with kids, and I'd rather have my child sort of experience church than not experience it because you know I can't take them to the mm-hmm. the, the the Latin mass or whatever. So I, I think mm. I think it's always going to be a trade off, and um, obviously I believe God can work in all, all these different situations and um mm. i think i think maybe the bigger point to take away is in a sense i i think there is also a kind of mysterious depth to you know a pentecostal gathering or uh or whatever yeah, it is. Wh- wherever there is a kind of 
genuine giving of yourself to something else. I think that's attractive Mm. to people who Mm. are just Mm. looking for something beyond just more of the kind of messaging of secular culture. And, and for Mm. me, it doesn't necessarily matter too much exactly what the rapper is, but there's a kind of sense that people really are hungry just in a sense for, for something transcendent, Mm. for something that, that just means something, you know, without. I thought thought you were saying the rapper, The rapper, like, I thought you were literally about to go into, like, a Kanye West thing. Right. You know, it could be this rapper, it could be Kanye, whoever, whatever the rapper is, as long as they are a rapper, I'm just happy with that because they could reach me with the gospel, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I actually thought you were going to ask Justin to rap the theme from his book of going, well, okay, let's, you know, do the thesis. Well, I presume he already agreed to that before coming on, didn't yeah. he, Justin? Yeah. Yeah. That surely. Isn't that, that the bonus section you're doing for, for paying <laughs> yes. subscribers? Patron subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patron subscribers. Some, something, something like that. But, do you know the other thing that's interesting in that story, and I, I have to be very careful because I now know who you, who that story is about. Because I can I, guess, I can guess who that is. Yeah, well, let's not, no, let's oh. not, because I think that's that's important. Um, but the kid, the kid thing is interesting too, because I think oh. there's something going on here that I can't fully put my finger on. So I have a family member who I also need to be careful not to out because it's unlikely they would listen to this. But you know, you never know. Uh, where things go, who, you know, walked away from faith. And we thought, okay, well, that's where they're at. Uh, and then recently sort of surprised everyone by saying, well, they now, they now started looking for a church. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. What's going on? And, this, and the answer was, well, I want my kids to have the same experience I had growing mm. up. And I was part of church. And and I think that's important. And like, okay, the challenge there is not to sort of push back too hard. I'm just great. <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. <laughs> but it was for them, the change is when children came along mm. and i do there's something there too i think I, i've mm. seen this trend too justin that when those big life transitions come for some it's for some it's mortality so i think of julian barnes and nothing mm. to be afraid of yeah. you know where he says i miss god yeah. and then for others it's, yeah. it's 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 kids and this kind of stuff so i wonder too whether there's that there's an there's, there's almost an immature quality to the new atheism it was a very iconoclastic i know the new atheists themselves were older but it was very studenty sort of it's very mm. cool and hip yeah. to be that way when you're 20 as you get a bit older you know those mm. words of sartre come a bit more true don't they atheism is a long dark cruel business yeah um yeah so i wonder whether the you know the, the parenthood life transitions when when you begin to think a bit more deeply about things particularly if the air has changed that you're allowed to think about those things i wonder whether things then happen yeah yeah and and i do mm. think there's there's a sense in which you know coming back to the book that that you do kind of run out of kind of stories to tell yourself or, or the stories stop being satisfying uh I, I mean and i think we're kind of getting into that phase in our culture where people have i mean you said earlier aaron that that you know whether people are as really really that religious when you look at it you know compared to Mm -hmm. well i think they actually are when it comes to some some of the issues you know lgbt or whatever that these are sacrosanct kind of things that they they get very religious about about that and Mm -hmm. devote Mm -hmm. a lot of their time to to them um and to that extent the question is how long can those stories sustain people if that's the center of people's lives if that's the kind of Mm -hmm you know, to use Peterson's phrase, their, their hierarchy of values, if that is the God mm. in their lives, w- mm. can that, mm. can that devotion, can that God sustain them for, for very long? And I, I think the statistics are telling us no, because mm. we live in skyrocketing rates of anxiety, depression, mm. you know, suicide among men is at its highest, you know, something's, something's not adding up. And, and to me, I, 
you know, my diagnosis is that we're, yes, it's this meaning crisis, this identity crisis. And Mm. for me, there's a sort of, there's a sense in which almost as a last resort, people might just turn back to the Christian story Mm. at at some Mm. point because they've, they've run out of steam. You know, the the other stories Mm. just aren't satisfying anymore. Um, So Mm. that's kind of where I think we might end up if you like now it might get mm. worse before it gets better so don't i'm not saying mm. that revival <laughs> is just around the corner or anything but it's, hallelujah brother <laughs> so so but yeah that's my my sincere hope is that that god that in god's providence there's something yeah. something bigger going on you know mm. yeah yeah yeah, no, I think that's, that's true. Uh, I mean, well, of course, we did have we did have a mini revival, didn't we, at Asbury? But that kind of petered out. <laughs> Everyone got bored of it after about a week, so it wasn't quite well, a, a revival. No, I wouldn't. I don't think yeah. it's quite the same. Actually, I think I think they kind of closed that revival down almost quite um, quite purposefully because it was actually kind of overwhelming the little town where it was, and mm, inevitably mm. there was a lot of people jumping on a bandwagon. But what I was, yeah. in a sense, encouraged by about the Asbury revival, mm. whatever you think of sort of you know mm. revivals in general was that sure it, yeah. it, it for me it showed that young people are hungry for something and yeah the the stories they're being told in the culture are simply not doing it for them and for mm. me that was just a, a little moment when i thought you know what there's hope for this next generation because there's mm. there's a bunch of young people mm. without an agenda yeah. without sort of you know very deliberately turning away the celebrity types mm just saying we want we want we 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 want god and and that's it mm, you know mm, and and mm. if that can still happen in our social media saturated celebrity culture age that's that's i think a, a very good yeah. thing actually the other thing as well and uh, this 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 story leads into a, a last question i'd like to ask you aaron may have one more and then we draw probably draw things to a close your comment there about young people i mean i'm i'm intrigued by Okay, my kids are, are quite young. They're ten and they're and they're eight. They've they've in the year that we've lived here in the village we're in in Wiltshire, befriended lots of kids in the street. And have, amazingly, like their best friend across the road is now coming to church. They asked mm. they asked him, and we I confess I was a bit okay. You can ask. I suspect the answer would be no, but go on, go ask him. And you know, he trots off and asks his granny who he lives with, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that'd be great." And so he's got a kid with no no background at all, but is but he's loving church. Never experienced anything like it um so we so so my wife started a little kind of sort of um after school bible club because this kid's got no bible knowledge that was originally just going to be him well he invited a friend of his so we've now got you know two neighborhood kids coming totally secular their parents are really positive um and so there's a there's an openness there which fascinates Mm. me and again i think sometimes Mm. as part of this cultural change i think as christians we need to be ready to see that that you know that that sense of perhaps more openness and, and God at work. But the question I had, um, Justin, is that, okay, we've talked to quite an intellectual level, you know, Douglas, Murray, Tom Holland, Louise Perry, you know, all the names that you've talked with and mentioned in your book, that's kind of up here. You've also got a lot of ordinary men and women who don't read this stuff. They read the news, they hang out on social media, they watch the TV shows and the stories. They listen culture. to Pot of the Gaps. They listen to Pot of the Gaps, <laughs> um, the poor souls. Um, is there a way that we can take some of these ideas and connect them to those who don't have their head stuck in, in that intellectual world but are affected by it? Because as we all know, that's the way culture works. You've got the idea shapers up here. I don't know why I'm gesticulating because I'm not <laughs> recording the video. But, you know, up at the top, those ideas trickle down. 
how do we engage people who are somewhere down the trickle process yeah. in these these conversations? Friends, colleagues, neighbors, who if you say Tom Holland, they're going to go, what, the Spider-Man guy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, Any I advice mean, on how we can have ordinary Well, the first thing is buy, buy a copy of my book and give it to them. That's the, the most obvious answer really to, that, to that conundrum. In fact, you're um, modest. Buy, buy 10, <laughs> buy 20. <laughs> And then follow it up with a book by Andy Bannister. But the the um, no, the serious answer is yes. I, mean, I, I absolutely agree. It can feel like a bit of an inside baseball conversation. This you know where you're just talking about sort of people that that you like following on their podcasts and Twitter or whatever. But I do genuinely think that, that this is a bigger phenomenon than just sort of in in those highfalutin circles. I think I think generally, as I say, the the identity crisis thing. Even if it's not named, it's it's floating around there in in the general populace. I think you know there just is a a sort of anxiety and um, sense of who am I type of thing going on across the board, and you see it in the sort of you know those daft stories that pop up about you know I, I want to be a cat at school or whatever. There's there's something behind all of that. There's a kind of um, issue at, at stake, and I think everyone's realizing. A lot of people are just realizing. Things have gone weird, haven't they? Things that, you know, we've, we've got to a, a, a slightly strange point in our culture where, you know, where some ideas that would have been laughed out are, are kind of being taken seriously. And then at the same mm. time, you've got the fact that, yes, again, for, for the average person on the street, if they haven't term, heard of Tom Holland, the historian, they, they've probably seen Spider-Man. And we still seem to be obsessed with um, the supernatural in that sense, yes. hero mm. films, Harry Potter, all of the stuff. It's, it's like the, the, the yearning for there to be a, a, a truth yeah. and a beauty and a justice and a, a kind of a savior and, and everything is still there. And I think sometimes mm. it's just about helping people to recognize that the thing that, that is at the center of the core of their life, be it, uh, some issue of justice or political cause or sport or whatever it might be, that, that that's pointing beyond itself to something and that mm -hmm. just having that is will never fill the hole, the God-shaped hole. Um, so in a sense, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, some classic apologetics in a sense. But it is, I think, about taking the, you know, what we've been given in terms of the people and, and their passions and saying there's something that fills that, that, that makes sense of all mm -hmm. that. And, and I just feel like maybe what's maybe different now to say 15 years ago is is that it's it's a bit more acceptable to say that thing might be god um mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and i i just wonder if if now might be the moment to start telling people that again mm. amen um that's great I, I, yeah my final final question would probably be along the lines of what we do now off the back of that i think you're completely right that we need to be thinking of correlating stories and, and actually building bridges with those yearnings you think of the ecclesiastes 311 got to set eternity in the heart of man etc so there is always going to be that yearning. We have seen that in all sorts of ways. But obviously there's different people in that young generation you mentioned earlier, let's say, who are thirsty for something, um, who might go to Asbury. But there's also the people thirsty for vindication and for acceptance of identity in their particular um, minority disenfranchised group, usually on the left in that regard. But there's loads of disenfranchised people on the right as well. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what do you think should be our posture to some of those issues specifically let's say those issues which might animate people on the right who traditionally in the last 20 odd years evangelicalism i would say probably hasn't tried very hard to reach people on the right mm. explicitly with how we've tried to speak to them so how would you think about we should be addressing those issues like lgbt stuff i mean obviously myself i've gotten a little bit of trouble for uh, addressing some of those 
So yeah, there's been head on, but some would say we shouldn't do that because actually these are people who are hurting. So the best way is to build bridges with their story. But I actually think there's a bigger thing going on as well, where people are wanting to see us challenge some of those bad stories, which are not actually helping people, even if it means you look a bit mean to some, even if you hopefully aren't mean, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, everyone I think is going to have their, their different way of doing that. Um, And there are some who have, you know, a gift of doing it in a more direct way. Others who, you know, just find that that's not the way they do it. I think my, my only concern in all of this is that Christians, whether they're addressing the left or the right, don't simply get dragged into a, a culture war. Um, I know that's really difficult because whenever you say anything, you, you kind of immediately get tarnished it, yeah. with, with one, one part mm. or another. But at the same time, the tone, I think, makes a huge difference. Um, it, so you can speak, you know, you can voice your perspective, but you can do it in a way where you refuse to engage in the kind of language or aggression or whatever that that simply does typify, you know, a lot of those things. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I do, you know, I, I talk about Jordan Peterson quite a bit in the book um, because I think he's a a very interesting kind of key person in, in this, who's showing the, the kind of way, but I do cringe at some of the things he puts on social media. Cause I just think that's not helping your cause Jordan. When you, you know, say, you know, use some choice language about some political opponent of yours that right. I genuinely don't think that is what Christ models to us. And that's not going to ultimately help our mm. cause. So I'm, I'm a bit of a Tim Kellerite in this sense. I think we can be winsome. We can do it and we shouldn't sacrifice that principle, even if we're standing up for, you know, the things we believe in and so on in, in the culture. So I, I guess, um, uh, I think there is a time though for, for, for calling things out and for, for straight talking and not sort of, you know, I, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't do that. I just think we, we should never give our give anyone the ammunition to say, "I haven't been treated with grace and decency and respect." Um, even, you know, obviously they may have a different sure. sort of mm. standard for what that looks mm. like. If if maybe just disagreeing with them counts as you not being respectful, but nonetheless, we need to try and make sure that we keep our own conscience clean. And for me, that's mm. that's a really important thing to to hold on to. That's- well, I, I'd love to push back. We haven't, we haven't got quite got time, but I'd love to have us continue that. If we had a patron subscriber, we could open the alleyway. But no, I have to go and pick up my daughter from Girl Guides. You may not, you may not be aware of this. Is that is that Aaron really is quite a wilting flower yeah, on so social heard. media? So even your suggestion that he he might gently challenge his reaction. <laughs> I have to say, at the start, I've, I've been triggered. Up. I've been triggered. No. I, I, I had to resist at the start when 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 Justin said he'd officially left Premier Radio about Easter time. I nearly piped in and went, and uh, Aaron unofficially left Cliff College <laughs> round about the same the same time. Uh, Easter, it's a time for new life, resurrection. Yeah, that's yes, a, exactly. Yes. Uh, this has been um, this we are at our time. This has been an absolutely fascinating discussion a uh, final question justin where can people go to find out oh, yes. we'll put a link in the show notes but tell people or verbally too where should they go to find out everything you're doing and about the book thank you so much yes yeah, so the surprising rebirth of belief in god it's it actually officially lands in september but you can pre-order it now and if you do it via my website that's even better justinbriley.com um while you're there you can sign up to the newsletter to keep in touch with all the things i'm doing um but yeah um uh, and there is uh in the works a, a podcast documentary series based on the book as well so um i will i will let you know more about that when it lands but for now justinbriley.com is a good place to go 
fantastic great well it's been a pleasure having you on uh on the show thanks again for being with us and uh i have been andy bannister that has been i think uh aaron edwards last time we checked this has been poll of the gaps our first time ever uh with a guest so do let us know in comments and whatnot whether you found it interesting wildly inappropriate you think we were terribly rude to justin <laughs> didn't let him go in word edge ways and uh and the puns were awful but we will we will be back again in a few weeks time with another episode thanks for listening it's goodbye from me well. And that's where Aaron should have gone. It's goodbye from him. But the ending. You put you froze. Wrong. You froze on the screen. I was like, you know, really. okay. <laughs> anyway, goodbye. 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 <laughs>